Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Reclaimed Podcast. I'm your host, Whitney Elise. Just a black girl out here at Chala. Just a black girl out here trying to help everyone do better. <laughs> Including and especially yourself. Dear Lord. I don't know what I was about to say, but hey, y'all. <laughs> welcome back to the show. Or if you're new here, hi, hello, and welcome. Um, as you can see, it's still a train wreck over here. But you know, we try. We are trying our best, and that is all that matters. Um, hey, y'all. How's your week going? Uh, last week and this week have been fun. Um, oh, shout out to every single person who gave, whether it was support, whether it was leaving a comment, or whether it was financially, to my Juneteenth effort every year for the for the past two years now. Um I have been collecting funds for black owned businesses on Juneteenth um, and y'all did not disappoint. We exceeded the goal last year. We helped three, not helped Jesus. We supported three different black owned businesses this year. We supported seven. I had a goal of five. So amen. Thank you guys so much for all your love and all your support. Um, Especially in the time post this Pandora's box. It's going to be critical, crucial, vital for us to continue to support the businesses that are in our community. Um, because why not? <laughs> you know, um, entrepreneurship only makes communities healthier. Supporting the businesses in your community only makes them healthier. Um, and just to be fair and honest and just flat out telling the truth, some black owned businesses are just that dope. Like, so creative, so much sauce, so innovative, so beautiful. And I'm so excited that we got to support seven different ones uh, with the Juneteenth effort. So thank you guys so, 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 so much. Um, so that was your, that was our update. Otherwise, you know, I'm, I'm here. Nothing really going on, <laughs> you know, raising a seven month old Jesus. She turned seven months old this week. And I feel like I have a teenager in my house. Like, I'm like, who is this old person? She's big. She's tall. She's, she's got her own voice. She's friggin' adorable. Um, she wants to eat food. She has learned how to hug and she hugs so well. Just squeezes with those little tiny chubby fat arms. I just love it. Oh my goodness. You hear how my voice changes when I think about my daughter. And you know, grumpy face is still here too. <laughs> still being grumpy, still being the security for the girls. Um, and we're just, you know, hanging out here and working and parenting and familying and doing all of the things. Um, so I hope that was the update that you guys wanted <laughs> your weekly updates. Um, let's get into the recap for last week, last week's episode, the Juneteenth playlist. Can I just say that y'all are hilarious, funny, wonderful, and a bit annoying? Let me tell you why. Um, so last week's episode became my most listened to episode in a matter of 24 hours. And that's hilarious because it comes on the heels of my least listened to episode. 
which was the week before. So I was sitting here just like, wow, y'all really did that. Y'all really did that. Like the support is real. Um, And I was just floored, excited, wonderful. Like it was just wonderful feels all around. Why? It's a bit annoying. Well, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, the Juneteenth playlist, um, I basically go into a few of my favorite songs um, for the summertime. Songs that if I don't hear, have not heard, it is not officially summer. And you know how us melanated folks feel about heat and warmth and gatherings and festivals and barbecues and pool parties and all that stuff like that. The melanated folk enjoy. But if we don't have these songs, it's not officially summer. And I only played the intros to each of those. But then I accompanied the episode with a playlist on Spotify. Here's why it got annoying. I know y'all have different music. Um, y'all stream y'all music from different services. I get it. I understand it. I respect it. Why y'all expect me to go on each one of those and make the playlist there? <laughs> why? Why? Y'all are some... Amen. All right. You know, I again, I appreciate the support. I love the support. I appreciate each of you. But come on, y'all. I'm not going to have five different streaming accounts, music accounts to try to keep up with the demand. Y'all are crazy. It's on Spotify. And yes, I put a a more abbreviated version on title. Um, someone in the comments of my TikTok, a few people in the comments of my TikTok went and made a playlist on Apple Music, which shout out to y'all. Y'all are dope. Um, and I, yeah, there it is. Enjoy. <laughs> Enjoy. Um, y'all are so dope for that though. I really, really like, I'm joking about being annoying. Like the fact that you guys want this music, the fact that you guys enjoyed the playlist, the fact that you guys shared it like crazy. Um, the fact that you blew up my episode, uh, that last episode, um, I appreciate y'all. Like (laughs) I really, really, really do. Thank y'all so much. Shout out to Eddie Bauer, by the way, one of the reclaimed partners. I'm partnering with them been partnering with them since fall of last year shout out to eddie bauer because they too shared the playlist and i was just like whoa this might be a thing so look forward to further playlists being created look forward to more list like content um and yeah that's that's really it for last week's episode if you didn't listen to last week's episode you missed out um but it's still up uh, of course, always. Um, and like I always say in every episode, you are free to binge listen to the Reclaim podcast. Um, no one's going to stop you. And I always encourage it. So thank you guys for the support. Let's get into this week's episode. It is. <sighs> We're going to do some explaining. We're going to get down to the nitty gritty uh, of a a issue that we have talked about on the show, but I don't think we've gotten to the base bottom bare bones of what this thing really is that we're getting ready to talk about. So before we do that, let's get into the church announcements. Hit it, Earl. Let the people of the Reclaim say amen. Glad to be here. Say amen again. And say amen one more time if you really like the show. We glad that y'all here today and these will be your church announcements. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the church announcements where we talk about pop culture, politics, and a bunch of other stuff that is on my mind, on my radar, and on yours. Uh, first up, uh, y'all buddy Matt Gates. 
Representative Matt Gates, representative out of Florida, has just he's not having a good year. <laughs> he's just not. Whether it be an abysmal interview on Tucker Carlson, also known as the dumpster fire of TV, whether it be this current investigation against him that alleges that he paid a 17 year old for sex, um, which is also sex trafficking, sex trafficking a minor. Um, lots of trouble with that, like lots and lots of trouble with that, whether it's the associate who pled guilty to that very same charge and which led to a further investigation of Matt Gates. Um, he's not having a good year. He's not having a good year. Someone told me that he looks like he's auditioning for the Grinch, like the way his face is shaped and y'all are rude. What it actually is, is y'all know those funhouse mirrors that pinch all of your features, like brings them all in really, really tight, very, very narrow. You know, those funhouse mirrors, that's what it looks like. Um, so y'all are rude about the, the Grinch thing. It's the funhouse mirror. Um, obviously joking. But yes, Matt Gates recently tweeted and deleted, <laughs> um, quote, if Democrats want to defund the police, they should start with the FBI. And this is because the FBI is currently investigating Matt Gates on the stories I just said before. Um, not having a good week, not having a good year, not having a good time. Um, and we're fine with that. We're fine with that. Like when you choose to do terrible things in the dark, don't expect them not to come to light. Like just don't, just don't, just don't. Also, the bevy, uh, like he's just... <laughs> We've talked about him before. If you want to look, if you want to know more about him, go ahead and do your Googles. But basically, he's just, he's not a good person. Just not a good person. Uh, what is going on with Florida? Like, y'all are having some troubles. Um, actually, this next story comes out of Florida. Um, it's two, two stories that come out of Florida. The first one being Ron DeSantis, y'all's governor. So we're going from your representative in U.S. Congress to your governor. Ron DeSantis, um, according to the Miami Herald, has signed multiple bills, including one that targets how civic education for kindergarten through 12th grade students will be discussed. He signed another, which will influence budget cuts, um, <clears throat> which will influence budget cuts uh, for public state universities on, and it'll survey students and staff about their personal beliefs. Does that make anyone else feel uncomfortable? Um, that now politicians are diving into the way we educate our children and our and universities on their on their own personal beliefs, and if they don't like those beliefs they could potentially cut the budgets of those universities and schools hmm so in this legislation it will require public universities and colleges to survey students faculty and staff about their beliefs and viewpoints to support quote intellectual diversity DeSantis however said that the measure is to prevent universities and colleges from becoming quote hotbeds for stale ideology sometimes i think that y'all like sometimes i think that the far right like to throw words together and they don't understand what it what 
those things mean. How, how is, we all know what this is. We all know that this is an attack on critical race theory, which let's be honest, and what we will talk about in the next segment, critical race theory was never being taught to kindergartners. <laughs> critical race theory was never even being taught in high school. Like critical race theory is being taught at, in law school. In, in, you know, in, in your, you know, during your bachelor's program at the earliest, but it's mostly taught in law school or some form thereof, like actual critical race theory, you know, talking about, you know, you could talk about elements of critical race theory, fine, sure, um, separate from the actual class course of critical race theory. And we know that this is an, an attack on that. Also an attack on any history being taught that does not center white people. So, you know, saying people massacred the Native Americans could be considered, in DeSantis's eyes, a hotbed for stale ideology. You know, saying that, talk about redlining or discriminatory practices at banks or how, how certain laws have discriminated against certain groups you know, keeping certain folks from getting married, keeping certain folks from having the health care that they need, things like that could be what we're talking about. <sighs> so DeSantis just what's going on in Florida? Y'all all right? My Floridians, I asked the Texans last week if they were all right. Floridians, are y'all OK? Like y'all need some support, some support because what is going on down there between your representative Matt Gates and your governor Ron DeSantis is just ridiculous and they want to teach your children less they want to lie in essence they don't they're more concerned about not telling the truth so they don't hurt people's feelings and that is problematic they want to continue to uphold a certain supremacy um and they want to continue to you know, stroke certain people's privilege. And that's gross. That's gross. Meanwhile, back to Texan, Texas. Hey, Texas. Again, are y'all all right? Because, you know, in the past few weeks, your governor, Greg Abbott, uh, said that he would withhold pay from Texas lawmakers by vetoing the section of the state budget that funds their paychecks because Texas gov, um, Texas Democrats, rather, walked out of the House session breaking quorum and blocking the possibility of a vote before the midnight deadline. This particular vote that they walked out on was to block one of the most restrictive voting bills being made into law. That's right. So opposite day, as you guys have heard, I call him that all the time. Greg Abbott is literally opposite day. He does the opposite of what a person should do. So when we were in the throes of a global pandemic, he just he declared his whole state open and that there was no mask mandate. Right. When, you know, there's been a major uptick in gun violence and opposite day decided, hey, you know what? You don't need a license and you don't need training to own a gun in Texas. Really? 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 Um, what else did he decide? Oh, he decided that he wanted to build to continue to build Trump's wall along the border of Texas and Mexico. So he found money to do that, but he can't find, seem to find money or support or anything like that to support Texas's power grid that keeps failing. 
the people of Texas. Make it make sense. Make it make sense. He also recently vetoed a bill, an anti-cruelty bill for pets in the state. Opposite day. Make it make sense. Um, Again, that's y'all's governor. Are y'all okay? Are y'all all all right? Um, Apparently, GOP folks want to make it more. Instead of catering to their constituents, finding out what the people that they serve in their state district represent whatever instead of doing that work they would rather restrict how many people get get to vote instead of increasing their own numbers of people who would willingly vote for them by listening to them and advocating for them and representing them they would rather restrict the amount of people who are allowed to vote that's where we're at folks um oh i have something that i want to play for you guys this is Joint Chief of Staff General Mark Milley. Uh, He recently testified in Congress. And I just, I have to play it. Um, I hope you all enjoy. Listen in. Um, First of all, on the issue of critical race theory, et cetera, I'll I'll obviously have to get much smarter on whatever the theory is. Um, But I do think it's important, actually. Uh, for those of us in uniform to be open-minded and be widely read. And the United States Military Academy is a university. Uh, and it is important that we train and we understand. Uh, and I, I want to understand white rage. And I'm white. And I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America? What caused that? I want to find that out. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I do want to analyze it. It's important that we understand that because our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, and guardians, they come from the American people. So it is important that the leaders now and in the future do understand it. I've read Mao Zedong. I've read, I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. That doesn't make me a communist. So what is wrong with understanding, having some situational understanding about the country for which we are here to defend? And I personally find it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers of being, quote, woke or something else because we're studying some theories that are out there. That was started at Harvard Law School years ago, and it proposed that there were laws in the United States, antebellum laws prior to the Civil War, that led to uh, a power differential with African Americans that were three-quarters of a human being when this country was formed. And then we had a civil war and emancipation proclamation to change it. And we brought it up to the Civil Rights Act in 1964. It took another 100 years to change that. So look it, I do want to know. And I respect your service and you and I are both Green Berets. But I want to know. And it matters to our military and the discipline and cohesion of this military. And I thank you for the opportunity to make a comment on that. Thank Woo! (laughs) General Mark Milley with the heat. I don't think that when Republicans asked him to get to speak on critical race theory that they thought he was going to talk about what he talked about. But General Milley went in <laughs> with with a beautiful, beautiful, sparkling, well-read read, um, as it were. Like, yeah, we're a university. We want to educate people. We want them to be well-read. They can read a myriad of things, and that does not make them the things that they read. Um, 
and he talks about understanding white rage um because he wants to understand why the capital was attacked he wants to understand he said I, and i'm white i want to understand this and i'm part of the people who caused this problem like i want to understand why that why that is a thing um he talked about he talked about you know considering african americans to be not not even americans like the the enslaved property of people to be three-fifths of a person like they're our humanity which is odd because it's still this way but our humanity is in question and how from the emancipation proclamation to the civil rights act was a hundred years before we gave civil rights not equal rights civil civility basic ways you treat people civility we haven't even done equal rights so yeah general mark ran it down the best well not the best part because this whole situation was it was so educated so well spoken the only part i did not like was when he was talking about woke and you know we could talk about how african-american um vernacular english how a lot of the things we talk about the words we use because nobody was talking about woke when woke first crested onto the scene except for black folk and then you know certain liberals took it and you know to distinguish themselves from other white people and then you could talk about the conservatives who took it and twisted it into something bad so that's the only thing i did not like um because in essence what what woke really was before it the meaning was twisted was a person who was hyper aware of things that was going on which in the trump era we had to be we had to be hyper aware because if we didn't pay attention we were going to lose rights you know there was all sorts of efforts being done despite the words that that administration was saying because they could say one thing they did a completely different thing that's called hypocrisy um so we had to be hyper aware we had to be hyper vigilant we had to be woke but like i said in an interview a few years back um when i was on a drink with james we had black people have always been woke we can't afford to be sleep we can't afford to be sleep because the moment we slack the moment we relax the moment we start to chill a little bit more things get taken away from us so we have no choice but to be woke as it were that's the only thing i did not appreciate about his his two minute message there two minute answer um but i appreciated the vast majority of that the thing that i really really appreciated though was when the camera cut to matt gates and he's just oh he's shaking his head he's all uncomfortable he's like come on guy you're a white guy you're a white guy we don't want to hear this come on you're supposed to be on our side that's the that's the vibe that i'm getting it's giving me um you're supposed to be on my team you're supposed to be on my side how dare you that's what it's giving me so yeah shout out to general mark milley who didn't like general mark milley's uh response well a whole, a whole host of trumpets obviously one being laura ingram who as a reminder did a nazi salute to uh donald trump's image during a some sort of i don't know i don't even know what it was i don't know it wasn't a rally it was a I felt like it was like a campaign thing like 
either before he became president or in the early days of his pre- presidency. So, and according to Lauren Ingram's brother, he said like father, like son, because apparently their father was a raging homophobe, Nazi racist. Um, and, you know, it it comes off like father, like son. Uh, I mean, father, like daughter, because in her recent show. She said that General Milley was an embarrassment. This is a reminder that Laura Ingram has been dragged by the culture since she told LeBron James to shut up and dribble. Um, He then founded organizations, several organizations and a school. (laughs) Uh, And Laura Ingram has never served in the military and never done anything in her life but be blonde and, and big mouthed. That's all she's really good for. Just another blonde talking head on the dumpster fire that dares call itself Fox, quote, news. It should be Fox News with a question mark at the end. But anyway, she went to her show and said that General Milley was an embarrassment. And she says that they should defund the military. So defunding the police is too radical. Um, retraining officers to better facilitate public safety is too radical but taking funds from the military because one of the generals says something that you didn't like is not radical it isn't you're right it's not radical it's crazy it's crazy just crazy what the hell people are weird all right let's talk pop culture let's get out of the the bag here um the next verses have y'all heard about this first of all i'm mad at half of y'all I'm mad at half of y'all. Nobody told me that the verses that I was talking about in last week's episode had happened already. And I missed it. And I was sad about it. I was sitting. I was sad. Not good. I wanted to see Eve and I wanted to see Trina. You heard my excitement. I'm sad. But this one, this next verses is on July 4th and it features Mary J. Blige and Tony Braxton. I cannot tell you how elated I am because I love both those people. And if you want to have a good heartbreaky time, put on some Tony Braxton and um, some Mary J. Blige. By the way, I caught uh, a screener for Mary J.'s uh, documentary called My Life. Let me say this. <laughs> Let me say this. It is extremely well done. It is beautifully well done. It features a ton of footage, tons of clips. Um, Mary is real and raw and authentic, which that's who she is as a person. So that's unexpected. I mean, that's not unexpected. Um, Mary is really true to herself. She's telling her story. It's also told to, you know, her associates, her friends. Um, I'm going to say this. The only reason I didn't like it is because it's so sad. God, it's sad. Like, there are some uplifting moments, but I found myself overwhelmingly sad for this woman who has given so much to the culture, so much to music. It was kind of the same thing with the Tina Turner documentary, where it's just like she Tina didn't have a happy life, and she said this herself. And her doc, she was using her documentary. Tina was using her documentary as a way to say goodbye. She was saying goodbye to the music industry. She's saying goodbye to the entertainment industry. And she says she wants to live the rest of her days. My reminder, she's 70 years old. She wants to live the rest of her days in happiness with her boo and her money and her peace. 
she talked about her parents and how they like that was a miserable situation obviously the situation with ike was way way worse than even in the movies and still half of y'all are still joking about anime eat the cake um half of y'all are still making jokes about this man brutalizing this woman y'all still making jokes about that because <laughs> domestic violence is so funny trash anyway but yeah mary J. um the Mary J. Doc is worth, uh, is, is required. I would call it required watching. Um, it's very well done. Very beautiful. But y'all, it is he- he- heavy. So just, just a heads up there. But yeah, I'm excited for that next versus um, because they are both hit makers. They both have amazing music. It's going to be awesome. What's not awesome? Um, y'all hear about somebody? Somebody from Florida saying that uh, Beyonce can't sing. And it wasn't a random somebody. It was Trick Daddy. Trick Daddy, who is like, what, 46, 47? Grown ass man um, who should be minding his own business. Hopped on Clubhouse, which y'all still on Clubhouse? I mean, no shade, but shade. Like y'all still on Clubhouse? Like I knew it was like a big black influx within the like the first few months of this year where everybody was on clubhouse and everybody was trying to get on clubhouse and everyone was using their invites and it became a big deal and very, 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 very black space. Very, 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 very quickly. Um, and then suddenly we stopped hearing about clubhouse. Like we stopped hearing about it. And I think it's because we all realized that this is just one big conference call and how many of us were, instantly annoyed by that so there was a huge exodus of that um but yeah he went on clubhouse and said quote beyonce don't write her music and can barely sing her mother effing self he said beyonce is to r&b what jay-z is to new york which what the hell does that mean like they're both prolific creative an asset to, I don't get it. Um, he said, that's why they're together. Jay-Z ain't never won the greatest rapper alive. Whoever put him on a level like that. <sighs> oh, he is 46. Like I said, um, this is giving me whiffs of jealousy and inferiority. Like we have a major inferiority thing. Like I noticed when um, his friend Trina I know that they they've done a lot of collaborations um but whenever she kind of lights up and like she's getting press and stuff like that he does something similar where he like tries to take her down tries to say something negative tries to say something hurtful this is like in his wheelhouse in his realm to do which is like I said very very disappointing uh but okay sure why not um yeah it's just giving me whiffs of jealousy and whiffs of inferiority because like Beyonce has solidified like come on she has solidified her place in culture she has solidified her place as a performer she has solidified her place in almost everything that she tries her hand at almost everything meanwhile there's a whole generation who don't know who Trick Daddy even is Talk about you don't know Naya. Yeah, they don't know Naya Trick Daddy. Seriously. There's, they don't know who you are. 
Ooh, boy. So speaking of Trina, speaking of Trina, Trina, who, like I said, is a longtime collaborator of Trick Daddy. She disassociated herself real fast, real fast on her Instagram. She posted a montage of Beyonce's performances, um, some which featured Jay-Z, most didn't. And she wrote all day, every day, the queen, which I know that's right. (laughs) I know that's right, Trina. She said, I am not in this. I am not in this fight at all. I have nothing to do with this. Uh, Trick recently posted a whole thing on why the Barbs, who are the fans of Nicki Minaj, the Barbs, um, are better than the Bayhive, the Beehive. Uh, It was like a whole video on why they're better than that, better than the Beehive. And the Barbs did not respond well either. They were like, don't you know that we're the Beehive's cousins? Often, often the Beehive's uh, siblings. That they're like, those two groups are like closely linked, if not overlapping. That the Venn diagram that you're looking for does not exist because like these two things are pretty similar like if you like Nicki Minaj odds are you like a Beyonce and vice versa um probably more so the former than the latter but you get the point um yeah they weren't having it what's hilarious is what the Beehive did next so rather than you know comment trick daddy and be insulting and stuff like that they start they went straight to the Yelp reviews for his restaurant and yelped bombed it which i don't encourage i don't encourage because i know that, that has been used in terrible ways against other that whole bomb comment bombing review bombing things because if you remember this time last year it was the honeypot the honeypot uh which makes uh feminine care products um and is black owned when they were featured by target featured by target didn't do anything wrong target was like yes we are behind the honeypot we believe in black owned businesses we believe in women owned businesses and we want to promote some of those businesses and here's the honeypot they made a whole ad a whole bunch of white women were in their feelings they felt like it was racist which when white people say that something is racist against white people they're just saying it makes me uncomfy and it, it doesn't feature me and i don't see myself and i don't know why which is literally the ravings and rantings the toddler like rantings of people who have been featured and favored way too much, way too much, so much so that it triggers them instantly when they don't see themselves for once. Mm. But the same thing happened to the honeypot and literally a bunch of white women went on the, um, went on Yelp, went on customer reviews and things like that so much so that they had to shut down that section for the reviews and it's hilarious because a lot of these white women didn't even know what honeypot was they thought it was like a food they thought it was like a dessert they thought it was something like that um they had no idea what they were talking about and you can read that in the reviews like at least be convincing at least be convincing here's how you could be convincing all of the people who were writing um reviews for trick daddy's restaurant spoke about the food spoke about the service spoke about the way the place smelled spoke about the 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 owner Things like that, you know, so I don't encourage this, but it is funny. This part is funny. Um, Trick has since responded. He has tripled down on his claims that he doesn't think Beyonce could sing. But he also said that he's it's his opinion. Like he doesn't think that Beyonce can sing. Um, And he said that 
something to the effect of cancel culture sucks. And if we all walk around and we can't share our opinions, we're not going to be who we really are. And that's fair. That is fa- that is a fair assessment. If you are not allowed to share your own opinions about the things you like and the things you don't, that's fine. But there's a difference between saying, I don't think that Beyonce can sing and Beyonce does not write her own music. That That's very different. That's, but even, and here's the thing. Here's another thing. Even if she doesn't write her own music, who the F cares? Nobody cares. Nobody cares in this generation anymore. That was for like 90s rap and whatsoever. Like nobody cares. Nobody cares. So even if that was true, which I doubt, which I doubt because reading some of them credits, it's Beyonce Knowles Carter. <laughs> like it's just her name on it. Um, so yeah, don't nobody care what Trick Daddy was saying. I basically just told that story because it was funny. Um, all right, that's it for the church announcements. Let's get into the mess and the message. All right, welcome to the mess and the message segment of this here show. As I alluded to earlier, we are going to be talking about critical race theory. Um, there's a lot of debate going on around critical race theory. You'll hear critical race theory being tossed around with the 1619 Project. I assure you that that those two things are not like the other, um, but they're both big, scary trigger things that are making racist white people feel very uncomfortable. Odds are they don't know what any of that is. They don't know what any, they don't even know what's in it. <laughs> um, the debates that I've had on the internet, specifically on TikTok, but drifting into my Instagram and Twitter have been with people who don't even know what it is. They don't know what critical race theory is. They've never even looked at the 1619 Project. But the idea of a history that does not center them, the idea of a history that does not make them the victor, the hero, the rescuer, the discoverer, makes people feel really uncomfy. And like I said earlier, when BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, people, and people of color, speak about racism and they say that's racist, We're talking about institutions, structures, policies, procedures that do inflict damage onto our communities. When white people say that something is racist against white people, it's something that usually just makes them feel uncomfy. We are facts over feelings over here. We care very little about what makes you feel uncomfy. We care about the truth. We care about what's right. We care about what's what's morally the thing to do. We care about people here and we care about helping people out. We care about freedom. We care about equality. We care about equity. We care about inclusion, not just diversity. Because if you remember, we had a discussion about diversity versus inclusion. Diversity is being allowed to come into the dance. Inclusion is being asked to dance, right? So um, let's get into it. We're going to talk about today what critical race theory really is. So much of the debate, and I'm, I'm reading bits and pieces from an article from Ed Week, Education Weekly, uh, by Stephen Sawchuk. So much of the current debate around critical race theory springs not from the actual academic text, because like I said earlier, no one, none of these people even read these things. They don't even know what critical race theory even is. No one has actually talked about it. Um, done the work of reading it. It actually comes from fear. 
See, look, feelings. Fear among critics that students, especially white, white students, will be exposed to supposedly self-damaging or self-demoralizing ideas. What? What are they going to learn? That their, their ancestors were, were hateful against people who didn't look like them, act like them, dress like them? That since time immemorial, that this idea of colonization and imperialism is damaging and has damaged the world like not just not just one area not just one country but the entire globe like that there's there's very few cultures that have not been touched influenced by or ruined or desecrated decimated by this idea of white supremacy that there aren't very many that you can name that they that these people stole land, massacred millions of people, and then stole entire people from a completely different continent, bled that continent almost dry of people, that just that one element, the transatlantic slave trade, was so detrimental that the sharks in the oceans between the continent of Africa and the continent of the um, of North America still follow the slave trade routes because that's how many bodies were being thrown from the ships or jumping from the ships because they chose the sea. God forbid that makes them feel bad, feel all in their feels, all in their fifis. Um, scholars say that much. Uh, much of the scholarship on critical race theory is written in the academic language um, or published in journals and is not even easily accessible to grades kindergarten through 12th grade. So this whole idea of critical race theory even being taught in schools is not a thing. So when you hear Republican talking points, GOP talking points, far right talking points surrounding critical race theory being taught in school, critical race theory was never taught to a kindergartner critical race theory was never taught in your high schools like i said it's a higher academic theory that is being taught in in universities and colleges in law schools things like that because critical race theory is focused on the law right nevertheless states like idaho tennessee oklahoma iowa florida and texas among many have their own legislation to ban critical race theory in kindergarten through 12th grade, a place where it was never taught to, to begin with. The problem, the additional problem with those bills is that those bills are so vaguely written that it's actually unclear what they cover. That's why it's dangerous, because what does it cover? Are we not allowed to talk about the civil rights movement? Because the fact that we needed a civil rights movement implies that <laughs> that. There's a section of people who were denying civil rights to African-Americans. Hmm? Do we not talk about redlining? Do we not talk about discriminatory practices at the banks? You know, and these are all things that are taught in high schools, that are taught to our children and to young students that need to be taught to them. They need to understand the truth about the world that they're growing up in. They need to understand the truth about the nation that they're growing up in. Just like General Milley said earlier, we need to understand it. If we're going to be assets, if we're going to be, if we're going to continue and make this place 
an actual great country instead of kind of lying, which was what we've been doing, not even kind of really, truly lying about who we are. Why can't we know the history? Why can't we know the truth? Why can't we know the facts that that glamorization of cowboys and stuff like that was really and truly massacring native native peoples and indigenous peoples that that whole era of of discovery is literally just colonization that you know slavery was wrong <laughs> and that the united states was founded upon it and made so much money off of the backs of free labor and that there isn't any person who does not have blood on their hands like no state is exempt from blood being on their hands when it comes to slavery that the fact that we have this country this country was built off of theft and free labor and we have to get honest about that but what what are, how can we get honest about that when the bills and the laws that are being placed and created in at this point at least half of the states in the union um aren't clear about what you can teach there's also it's also very unclear if these new new bills are constitutional at all or if they impermissibly restrict free speech because if it's a law or, that you can't teach civil rights if it's a law that you can't teach certain things in black history, i.e. slavery, you know, being several hundred years and having effects that we still see today, because obviously because the United States is not that old, <laughs> the United States is not that old and that there's still repercussions that are happening that certain peoples can't even trace their own lineage back only so far because we weren't even included in censuses because we weren't seen as people. Right. Such laws could have a chilling effect on teachers who might want to self-center their own lessons out of concern for parent or administrator complaints. (sighs) So now that we went through all that, what is critical race theory? This is a question that I like to ask people who like want to tell me that it's racist. I'm like, what is it? Tell me what it is. Tell me what it is. I even went as far as to make a whole video where I asked my Google assistant what it is. And it tells me that. Um, so what is critical race theory? Critical race theory is an academic concept that is more than 40 years old. So it's not brand new. It did not come out with the 1619 Project, which is relatively new compared to critical race theory. The core idea is that racism is a social construct, which it is, and that it's not merely the product of individual biases or prejudice, which it isn't. Not merely, not solely. It is something that is embedded in the legal systems and policies of the United States, which we can see in the laws, right? The basic tenets of critical race theory, or CRT, emerge out of the framework for legal analysis in the late 70s and early 80s. It was created by legal scholars Derek Bell, Kimberly Crenshaw, Richard Delgado, and many others, right? So that's what critical race theory is. Like I said and have been saying, all critical race theory is, is looking at the law. It looks, like how, it looks at how the law affects systems and policies 
that could be in turn racist. Right? What is what critical race theory is not? What critical race theory is not is a catch-all for all things anti-white. Critical race theory is not anti-white. It is anti-racist. There's a difference. And the fact that certain groups want to tie the two together says how racist <laughs> this nation really is. Right? Cuz if you go anti-racist and all all of a sudden all the white people start saying, not all the white people, but you know, the racist ones, all the racist people say, oh, no, 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 it's anti-white, it's anti-white. No, it's anti-racist. But the fact that you tied the two together shows how racist the bunch of y'all are, right? So what critical race theory is not? It is not a catch-all for all things anti-white. It is also not a curriculum with the sole purpose of making white people feel bad. Critical race theory don't care about your feelings. It cares about the law, like I said. Critical race theory is also not racist because it's not focused on hating or excluding a specific group. It is focused on looking at how laws, practices, procedures affect entire communities, right? What critical race theory is not, is also a catch-all for the discussion of race and racism. It's not the catch-all. It's specific to the law, to the law, okay? So there's going to be a whole host of other conversations that are not included in critical race theory, okay? Critical race theory is not a synonym for culturally relevant teaching, right? This is something that emerged in the in 1990s and focused on making black students, Latino students, indigenous students feel comfy within their culture, right? As opposed to actually addressing the actual needs of those students. It was just, you know, to make people feel more comfy and more welcome, right? This uh, culturally relevant teaching has since been tossed out because it did the exact opposite. <laughs> it made people feel very uncomfy in their teaching. All right. So what is true about critical race theory? Critical race theory. Uh, the theory says that racism is part of our everyday life. So people white or non-white who don't intend to be racist can nevertheless make choices that fuel racism. I'm going to read that again. What? is true about critical race theory. The theory says that racism is part of our everyday lives. So people, whether white or non-white, who don't intend to be racist can nevertheless make choices that fuel racism. Wild, right? Wild. Critical race theory puts an emphasis on outcomes, not merely on individuals' own beliefs. I'm a park right there. That's where conservatives want to hang their hat. They want to call racism a bunch of individuals. It's individual bias. It's individual beliefs. It's, a, it's an individual thing. They don't want to see it as a systematic problem. They also did not want to see that COVID-19 is a real thing. So they literally stick their head in the sand like a bunch of ostriches while hundreds of thousands of people um, die and millions and millions of people are adversely affected. So we're not doing that. We're not sticking our head in the sand. We're going to face this head on because that's what we do here. Uh, where was I? Oh, yes. <laughs> Critical race theory puts an emphasis on outcomes, not merely on individuals' own beliefs. And it calls on these outcomes to be examined and then rectified. There's the scary part. <laughs> Therein lies the scary part. The scary part is the rectification of those laws. 
the rectification of those policies, the rectification of those procedures. That's where certain folks don't want us to go. So they'll immediately toss critical race theory out as hateful, as incorrect, as racist, as idiotic, as I heard one person put it, which I'm sure those scholars uh, who actually study it, you know, they could run circles around you before you call them idiot um, idiots. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but that's the place that people don't want us to get to. They don't want to get to the rectification of it. But why? Why don't people want to get to the rectification of it? Because people are enjoying their privilege. Short answer tends to be the right one. People are enjoying their privilege. They don't want to fix the laws that have benefited them. They don't want to fix the policies and procedures that benefit them. They don't want to feel equal to anyone. They want to feel bigger. They want to feel better. They want to feel more powerful than these groups of people. And so they don't want to get to the rectification. So they call it something else. They call it and name it and drag it through the mud when in truth, it's the right thing to do. Wouldn't it be the right thing to do that if you found out that your family was doing something wrong to another family to fix it? If you found out that a business that you worked for was underpaying a certain group of people and you now had the power to fix it, wouldn't you? These are just all questions that we have to ask ourselves. Um, let's see what else. Okay, critical race theory emerged out of a post out of postmodernist thought, which tends to be skeptical of the idea of universal values, objective knowledge, individual merit, um, enlightenment, rationalism and liberalism. These are all tenets that conservatives hold dear. So, of course, they're going to be against critical race theory. Of course, they are. It goes against everything that they believe, everything that makes them feel comfy and safe and secure. That's not us, right? That's not what we're going to do. So here's some examples of critical race theory. In the 1930s, government officials literally drew lines around areas deemed poor financial risks, often explicitly due to the racial composition of those neighborhoods. Banks then subsequently refused to offer mortgages to black people in those areas. Today, those same patterns of discrimination live on through facially I'm sorry, facially race blind policies like single family zoning that prevents the building of affordable housing in advantaged majority majority white neighborhoods and thus stymies racial desegregation efforts. Right. Racially segregated schools. Talk about that. Um, That's another example of critical race theory that we could talk about Um, looking at racially segregated schools, the underfunding of majority black and Latino school district districts, disproportionate disciplining of black students, barriers to gifted programs and selective admission high schools and the curricula that reinforce racist ideas. Critical race theory wants to look at all of that. Look at the outcomes of that and then fix it. So if you have an underfunded school, that you find out is largely black, you fund it. You give it more money. You better train the teachers. You hire new teachers if you need to, you know? Um, With regards to barriers to gifted programs and selective admission high schools, you fix those. 
You go in and you say, why don't we have an, um, why don't we have black people in these or enough black people or more black people or more Latino people or more um, of these other groups involved in our school? Why is this school largely white? Well, there's barriers to that. These kids often don't even know that they can go to these schools. That information is not always given to them. In fact, a lot of times the counselors discourage them. You know, that, I mean, I'm not saying that that's true. I'm saying that that could be a, a, an outcome that could have been something that happened. Right? And then you fix it. Then you fix it. So that's critical race theory in a nutshell. That is critical race theory in a nutshell. It is, like I said, largely based upon laws, policies, and procedures. It is focused on the outcomes and fixing the outcomes. Again, what it is not is a catch-all for all things anti-white because critical race theory is not anti-white. It's anti-racist. It is not a curriculum with the sole purpose of making white people feel bad. It in, in and of itself is not racist. It is not a catch-all for the discussion of race and racism. And it is not a synonym for culturally relevant teaching, which, like I said, emerged in the 1990s. Um, this article, like I said, was written in Education Week by Stephen Sawchuck. I encourage you guys to read that, take a look at that, examine that, because he laid it out perfectly, very concisely, very clearly, um, and a lot better worded than I could give you right now. <laughs> a lot better worded, but beautifully, beautifully written. Uh, thank you, Mr. Sawchuck. Um, but yeah, that's all critical race theory is. It's a concept that is taught, like I said, in universities and typically law school. It is focused on policies and procedures. Um, and it was never taught to kindergartners, guys. <laughs> so everybody can chill out. I think that the thing is, like, when you bring children into it, people get really, really all in their fifis, which, hi, my name is Whitney. I have a daughter and I am extremely sensitive about the things that she will potentially be learning. And... I think it's wild that I'm going to have to look at that sweet face of my baby, my little girl, one day when she comes home and talks about some kids being jerks to her or some teacher saying some sly or asinine or backhanded thing about maybe how well she speaks or kids saying, we don't want to play with you because you, you know, you're brown or because these things happen. Um, someone calling her hair nappy, which, you know, we could talk about nappy. I personally don't mind the word nappy, but, you know, used in the hands of others, I could see how it could be a problem. Um, I'm going to have to look at that sweet face and explain racism to her. And I don't want to, not because I, not because I personally don't want to, but because it's such a dark, just vitriol just hate kids don't understand a lot of times those concepts of hate because a lot of times they just get along with people because they like them you know hate is taught racism is taught bigotry is taught all those things are taught and I'm and I made a post about this on Instagram I'm actively teaching my baby not to hate anybody because of how they look who they love, what they believe, what they're able to do, so on and so forth. And I encourage people to do the same. 
hate is a taught behavior. And I think that the reason why people hold on so much to their hate is because they're remembering those moments where they were taught it. And it feels like their legacy. It feels like their their inheritance. It feels like their family. You know, there was a reason why people brought little kids to lynchings. And you could see it in the old photos. They used to collect photos of lynchings of my people. And there's a reason why they brought their kids to these events, these horrible, brutal, vicious, monstrous acts, inhumane acts. Um, there's a reason they were teaching their kids to see less of us, to not even see us as human beings, to see us as entertainment at best and, and animals to, or, or, or beings to be slaughtered at worst. That is all taught behavior. I'm not teaching my baby that. And it sucks that I'm going to have to teach her one day. Ooh, excuse me, y'all. It sucks that one day I'm going to have to look at her face and explain to her why people are going to hate her. As a person who loves her so much. I'm sorry, I didn't expect this to happen. It sucks that I'm going to have to look at my girl and tell her that the world won't like her because of the color of her skin. And that's not okay. And that's not the world that I want to build for her. And so I fight really hard, really hard against that. And I rail hard against that. And I I build entire walls against that and I fight against that but I know that deep down inside even no matter what I do someone out there is going to hate her and someone out there is going to say something that hurts her based upon who she is and that I may not be able to protect her from that and that's not fair and the fact that there are so many parents out there who won't even allow their children to even be taught basic black history, basic humanity, basic things, because they don't want their kids to be taught that, because they like that their kids are, you know, centered in these narratives, that they we can keep celebrating Christopher Columbus Day, which we all know is bullshit, that we could talk about the founding fathers as if they founded anything, and as if they were fatherly, if fatherly includes massacre and, and enslavement and rape and pillage and violence, and that they were just the leaders of that, that we can center them in every single aspect and area of education, of history, of study, that they, can get, they get to be the heroes. But God forbid we talk about black folks on any other month other than February. And that there are parents out there who are actively teaching their kids to hate my girl. And that's not okay. And I'm not okay with it. And I hope you're not okay with it too. Because the world that I plan, the world that I'm working on, the world that I'm building, I can't build alone. And I need help. We need help. We need to help each other. So. Didn't expect all this. <laughs> didn't expect to get emotional. Um. But yeah, yeah. All right, y'all. 
<laughs> that's enough tears let's get to the wrap-up rant and blacks in the deep end all right um we've stopped crying welcome to the wrap-up rant and blacks in the deep end um so there's a lot of people i want to yell at um for this wrap-up rant let's start with marjorie taylor green did y'all did y'all know she she and a bunch of other people have created the fire fauci act you know dr fauci the guy who's literally ushering us out of this pandemic um who has decades worth of knowledge and 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 experience in pandemics um in epidemics uh in all that stuff like he's just the voice the guy to go to um yeah, she wants to fire Fauci because of some emails that came out um, for his own personal salary. I mean, not his own personal salary, his own personal, not personal emails, but work emails that came out and largely are unread. And y'all, the Republicans are obsessed with emails. Like, wasn't it Hillary's emails that wasn't too long ago? But then, like, there was a bunch of Trump emails that were, were you know, Melania's emails that were coming out of personal email things that could be infiltrated and, you know... Nobody cares about that, but God forbid anybody, which I don't understand why a pandemic scientist, Dr. Fauci, is against the Republicans, but that's how they view it. They view it as a personal war because he told them to wear a mask and to quarantine for a few weeks, which if we did, we wouldn't have we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in. But here we are. Yeah, Margie Taylor Green, who also believed that space lasers, Jewish space lasers, from space caused the California forest fires. That same person who somehow became a representative, which means that there's people who believe worse, my God, um, created the Fire Fauci Act. Um, She said she wants to drop his salary to zero. Um, This is a reminder that Dr. Fauci is not an elected official. (laughs) And this might be surprising to you guys, which I'm sure it's not, but a lot of people in government aren't elected officials they work there they just work there there's a lot of people who have never been elected to their positions um but they work there because employees are a thing uh so she sucks as usual i've already talked about her she's like a lot of the things that she's accusing other people of not dr fauci necessarily but a lot of the things that she accuses people of she herself is guilty of um there's a scathing review if you guys want to messy messy read um look up what's going on with her between her um her physical trainer and her husband messy just messy we're not gonna talk about it but it's messy um oh did y'all hear this again god damn it florida um did y'all hear this story out of pensacola florida one woman named morgan mccoy of Pensacola, Florida, is blaming a cannabis company for her six-year-old eating their candy. So this cannabis uh, company called Faded Fruits makes a Hawaiian punch gummy. Um, This gummy has 50 milligrams of THC in it, which I don't know what that even means, but according to those who know what that means, that's a lot. That's a lot. That is a high dosage. Apparently, they were at a family event or friend's event. Had she, her daughter had just gone swimming. She was going to go put on clothes. She found the package of candy. She went into the candy. She took a piece of the candy and she ate the candy like a six-year-old would do. 
Her mother comes and finds her. She finds her unresponsive. They have to rush her to the hospital. It's apparently a very scary moment because, you know, there's parts where her heartbeat becomes really irregular, where her breathing becomes irregular. And I feel really bad for this kid, like so bad for this kid. I feel worse that Morgan is her mother because Morgan is suing this company or attempting to sue this company um, and blames the company for the packaging. She said that the packaging looks like something that kids would like. This is a reminder that it says very, very big on the package that this is a cannabis product, right? That's the first thing. Second thing, because I don't expect a six-year-old to read that. I, don't ex- I expect a six-year-old to eat candy. I expect them to, right? I didn't like how Morgan called her daughter a candy whore. Um, stop calling y'all kids any version of whore. That is ridiculous. That child is a six-year-old child. I expect that child to eat candy if they see candy packages, who I blame is not the cannabis industry. It is personal responsibility. First of all, why aren't you watching y'all kid? Why aren't you watching y'all kids? Like if she's going to go change and put on clothes, okay. Who had the gummies and why weren't they put up? Why weren't they put up? Like if you have weed candy just sitting about, like put it up. It's not the rest of our fault that y- that your child got into it when adults were present there that doesn't make any sense that just doesn't make any sense to me like it's not and this is a terrible example but go with me it wouldn't be the it wouldn't be clorox's fault if your kid got into clorox and started you know trying to drink it that wouldn't be clorox's fault that'd be your fault as a parent because you weren't watching your child personal responsibility is a thing people um i hope that they throw this this whole situation out because that is just ridiculous um finally this one goes out to one lynn manuel miranda and john chu two people who i thought i would never ever have to rant at john chu was the director of crazy rich asians i believe lynn manuel miranda obviously hamilton in the heights um created music for moana uh lots of other stuff just Great all-around faves of mine. Uh, So In the Heights, the film, has been accused of not having enough Afro-Latinx representation. Now, I am an African-American person. I am not of Afro-Latinx descent, so I cannot offer a personal opinion on that. What I can say is that this neighborhood that Lin-Manuel is talking about is largely Dominican. So there's largely, there's a good portion of people with darker skin. There's a good portion of people who are Afro-Latinx. Like, that's a thing. And if you're whitewashing this film and then the excuse comes out as, oh, well, you know, we hired the best actors for the position. It sounds very much like when... A certain other community does this to all the rest of us. Oh, we hired the best actress for the job, despite the fact that the role is for an Asian woman and we hired a white woman to play her. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't even have to mention it. That type of stuff. Or that one exec who wanted to make a Harriet Tubman movie, wanted to make a Harriet Tubman movie and said that Julia Roberts should play Harriet Tubman. Now, Julie Roberts has not said anything about this, nor has she said that she wants that role. Because um, obviously this is ridiculous. It's Harry Tubman. 
But it sounds very much like that. So John Chu goes on to several, uh, like to, yeah, several interviews I've seen with him. Um, and basically says the same thing. We found the best actors for roles. A bunch of actors said the same thing. You know, we work really hard for these roles. And no one's denying that they didn't work for their roles. And no one's denying their own talent. But what we are talking about is the lack of representation. And Lin-Manuel, in his own apology that he wrote a week or two ago, says that he wrote in the Heights because he wanted us all to be seen. He wanted everyone to feel seen and represented and feel like they matter. And the problem is that they didn't see themselves. People didn't see themselves in his film, and he apologized for that. Um, so in our segment in those tweets, this, is, this one is from La Roca. So it's L-A underscore R-O-C-A underscore underscore. And La Roca says, y'all don't, y'all don't, un- sorry, y'all don't understand this isn't about diversity. We are asking why the film about Dominicans in the Heights doesn't look anything like the Dominicans or the Heights. Dominicans are mostly black. The Heights is, is black Dominican neighbor, is a mostly black Dominican neighborhood. So there you are, folks. I'm going to let the people who, you know, have experience know you know, this is their culture. I'm gonna let them speak because that's not my culture. All right. Blacks in the deep end. This one goes out to one Regina King. Also Jonathan Majors, Idris Alba, Zazie Beats, Lakeith Stanfield, Delroy Lindo, Eddie Gethlingy, uh, RJ Seiler, Daniel Deadweiler, and Dean Cole. Four this upcoming film in Netflix called The Harder They Fall. This is a black Western. It looks amazing. I just saw the preview for it. Holy cow. Holy cow. Looks amazing. Looks phenomenal. Looks beautiful. Looks amazing. You guys, I'm excited to see it. I can't wait till it comes out. Um, yeah, do yourself a favor. Go to Strong Black Lead. That's the the black arm of Netflix. Go to Strong Black Lead and check it out. It is... First of all, anything with Regina King, I'm just going to give you a thumbs up for. So when I first saw the, like the f- initial few seconds of this film, I thought they were bringing back Watchmen. I got so excited. I thought they were bringing back Watchmen. It wasn't Watchmen. They need to bring back Watchmen, though, because, you know, it's award-winning. A lot of us loved it. It put America onto a lot of things, i.e. the Tulsa massacre, which a lot of people did not know about. Um, yeah, they're awesome. But here she is playing this role of a black cowboy um, in, in a black Western. This is this is going to be phenomenal. I cannot wait. I really hope it doesn't disappoint me. <laughs> I really hope because it looks great. Um what else okay this week's black owned business we are shouting out the red pill blue pill collective red pill blue pill collective is a collection of curated teas tanks mugs and various apparel um that can is all about the culture so whether you're more woke as we talked about earlier whether you're more woke 
and attentive to what's going on in culture or you feel like being ratchet. Red Pill, Blue Pill Collective has pieces for you. Um, I have done a collaboration with Red Pill, Blue Pill Collective for my Karma is a Black Woman pieces. Uh, you've seen me in the tees. You've seen me in the, the sweatshirt. You know my mug is on my desk right now that I'm staring at. Um, yeah, Red Pill, Blue Pill Collective. Get into it. Uh, and that's this week's show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you for your likes, your shares, your subscribes. Don't forget to leave me a review on any platform that you can. Because there's a bunch of... I think that there's one there's one or two platforms where you can't leave a review but if you can leave me a review especially if you're on apple itunes please 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 leave a review um if you want to continue to support this show keep it independent you can support this show on patreon that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash whitney elise um yep 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 that's where you can support me we have a few new patrons shout out to them shout out to y'all i appreciate y'all for being the coolest most wonderful community on patreon your continued support means everything to me everything um and that's it for the show and as always y'all peace <laughs>